Thank you all who came forward to uh, ask that blessing. I certainly feel empowered by that. This is not what I wore at the 8 o'clock service this morning, but I put it on after the service, and I was walking over here for the 9 o'clock service. One of the people who were coming for the 10 o'clock, from the 8 o'clock service asked me if I was going to a parade this morning. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. In fact, I'm leading the parade because we're parading to impact the world for Jesus Christ at the 9 o'clock service. <laughs> Uh, the reason I chose this uh, stole will come, I, I hope, clear to you uh, through my sermon because it, for, the, for you teachers who like to use visual aids, uh, this is meant to be a, a, a visual aid, a, an illustration uh, of what the gospel uh, and the other readings of today are telling us about, all of which centers around, of course, the idea of God's faithfulness. We're in the season of Pentecost. That's the season of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, he will convict you of your responsibility to the gospel and enable you to understand the words of the gospel and give you the strength and the courage to stand firm in that gospel and to preach it bravely to the people around you. And in the season of Pentecost, we go back to the basics. That's why in the Old Testament we've been reading from Genesis. And we're going to go right through Genesis and Exodus and the other books of, of, uh, of Moses and get into the prophets as we're going to make a parade right through Scripture and remind ourselves of how God's eternal plan of salvation has been surely working its way out in some remarkable ways for over 4,000 years. And we are part of that and recipients of that faithfulness today. And we have to always focus in on that. And that's what the, the Pentecost season is meant for us to do. And so God is faithful. And that's what all of these teachings are about. And that's what the psalm was about. That's what the Old Testament reading was about. That's what Jesus was about this morning. The faithfulness of God and how Jesus, who was sent as the Messiah, has to work within that framework that God himself has laid out for him and how well he does that. Now, the reading that we had today, I dare say, is not one of the favorite scripture readings of too many people here in the congregation. But it is a very important reading, and it is, in fact, a real focal point for us to look at very closely. There are actually two things that are happening in today's reading, and they're happening in two different places. The first thing is Jesus is still in the Galilee, and he's preaching to the people, and he has these quiet times with his apostles whom he is preparing for their positions of leadership. So that after he's preached and they've heard him preach and he's worked his miracles and they've seen the miracles, Jesus helps focus their attention on what was said and what he was teaching and how the miracles that he performed fed into that teaching. And that's what he's doing with them today. And he tells them, that one of the problems with Israel of his day was that just as in their whole history through the Old Testament, 
they, their hearts had grown cold and they had turned away from God and into worldly things that was still happening with the people. And they did not enjoy that very personal relationship with God that he wanted them to have. And they had mistaken some of the things that they do and some of their traditions and some of their practices rather than the teachings of God. Jesus had, had accused them on more than one time that they had become too much legalists. They had gotten into the law, and in doing so, they had actually broken the first and most meaningful commandment of God and the relationship that tied them to God, that I am the only God, and you shall have no God beside me. They thought they were being faithful to this. But they had actually succeeded in raising the law of Moses above God. And they were more concerned with fulfilling the laws of what they ought to eat. You know, it's not what you eat that goes into a person's body uh, that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of his heart and comes out of his life and how he tries to relate that to the people around him, the compassion that he shows, the kindness that he has, and the faithfulness to God's word and praise. They had gotten too much involved in their traditions and in their customs and in their rules and regulations and allowed them to sap the very life and energy out of their relationship with God. And this is what Jesus was talking to them about. And the apostle said, you know, the, this is not going to sit too well with the Pharisees. They're really going to be ticked off when they hear you talking about these things. And Jesus lays it right on the line and said, uh, they have become false teachers. They have followed uh, the line of the priestly uh, 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 tribes and they're in positions of authority but they are not exercising that authority correctly and a day of reckoning is coming when these will be completely rooted out and thrown away and that you have to be called to faithfulness and that's all of Jesus' teachings was that we are called to be faithful to God and follow God's way and not get lost in some practices and traditions that may be all very well for us but have us miss the mark now that's what Jesus said to his audience 2,000 years ago and what he said is very valid to us today because we still find ourselves in that situation and we still are stumbling and falling with some of the things that the people were doing in Jesus' day. And people who come from liturgical churches of great historical tradition, like the Episcopal Church, are especially vulnerable to this type of thing because we get so much involved in our traditions and in our customs, which are all very beautiful and had great meaning and were always meant by God to lift us up and to free us to live the gospel. But when we find that it's constraining us.
from living the gospel, then the Holy Spirit convicts us of some changes that we have to make in our life. And the unfortunate truth of today is that there are many people sitting in our churches who are good Catholics and good Episcopalians and good Methodists and good Presbyterians, but are lousy Christians because they take so much their customs and their traditions and follow them and are not living the life of faithfulness that God calls us to. So while we read this thing and think, oh, Jesus was talking to those poor souls 2,000 years ago. No, Jesus is talking to you, and he's talking to me. And we need to hear those things. We're seeing a terrible breakdown of the traditional Christian churches right now, where false teachers like the Pharisees of Jesus' day or or rising to positions of leadership in their denominations and or leading those denominations astray. And there's people who are allowing this to happen and are not putting up any objections because they don't want to rock the boat and they want to remain faithful to their traditions at the expense of giving up the gospel and the truth, the saving truth that Jesus Christ wants us to. To be a part of. And that's the important thing that comes in this first part of today's reading. And it's something that you and I need to look at very carefully and then analyze ourselves and our practices and make sure that we don't allow our customs as good and as well-meaning as they have always been and the power that they have to truly lift us up to allow them to separate us. From the love of God. The devil is a a conniving, uh, sly individual who's always looking for opportunities to use everything that he can to torpedo us. And we already know that uh, Satan himself is very capable of reciting scripture to us, except he does it out of context. And that's why it's so important that we know the context of Jesus' teaching and the meaning of what he's saying to us. And that's the first thing that we need to see in today's story of Jesus. Now, the second thing is also very important. uh, And it is uh, uh, so important because uh, uh, our uh, civilization today is so fragmented with different people being separated from one another and we're being torn apart as a people, all of whom are creatures of God and all of whom Jesus died on the cross to save. Jesus leaves leaves the Galilee and we have in today's reading the first time in the New Testament that we have information about Jesus leaving Israel and going into a foreign country. And that's what he does today. He leaves the Galilee, and he and his apostles walk the 50 miles from the Galilee to the Mediterranean coast and go into the Canaanite kingdom of Tyre and Sidon. And there, we don't know why Jesus went. (laughs) That's a beach area. Maybe they were on vacation. 
We don't know why they went, but they went. And while he was there, Jesus used that opportunity to give us a very foundational teaching of the salvation of God uh, and the plan in which it works its way out for us. He goes into that Canaanite land. And the Canaanites, you remember, were the tribe of people who inhabited the land of Israel when uh, Joshua and Moses brought the Israelites to the land that God had given them. And God told them they could learn to live in peace with all the various tribes that surround the area, but the Canaanite people were so vile that they could not have any activity with the Canaanites at all. They would have to drive them from the land. And in driving them from the land, if they refused to leave, they were to be killed. And that's because their customs and their traditions were so vile and so contrary to morality that God did not want them to be exposed to neighbors who were living this kind of life that would attract them. And so they were to be driven out and the Canaanites were to be taken away. Now Jesus goes into Cana. And here in Cana, this Canaanite woman comes to him. How she knows about Jesus, we don't know. Because we don't have a single incident where Jesus actually preached when he was in, uh, in Sidon uh, 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 Tyre. Or that he worked any miracle there other than to this Canaanite woman who comes there. But somehow she had heard about the Hebrew prophet from the Galilee. And his ability to cure people and the compassion that he had for others. And the only other thing that she knew was that she had a daughter who was precious to her. And she was dying and her life was seeping out of her. She described it as being possessed by some terrible malady. And so she comes to Jesus as her only hope and asks Jesus uh, to uh, cure her daughter. At first, Jesus doesn't even listen to her, doesn't pay any attention to her. It's as if she doesn't even exist. And he goes out of his way to try to avoid her and the more he tries to avoid her, the more she comes into his face and pleads with him for help. And it gets to the point where the apostles say, Lord, please do something. Send this woman away. She's a terrible distraction to us. Get her out of here. And Jesus said, I can't do anything for her because my father's plan is to bring salvation first to the Hebrew people. I'm to bring salvation there and not to these other people. You will remember that after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, uh, his last words to his apostles that we have etched on our wall here, the Great Commission, he says, now you must be witnesses to me in Judea, in Jerusalem, and then in all of Judea and Samaria, and then into the ends of the world. Jesus is saying God's plan is that salvation must come and be preached first to the Hebrew people because they are the chosen people. Because God made a covenant with Abraham and said, if you will leave your land and go to the place that I will take you 
and, and turn your back on all other gods and worship only me, I will bless you. Wonderful news for a man of 75 years of age and a wife of 70 who had no children at all to be told that they were going to have a child. And more than a child, from that birth would come a great and powerful nation. And so Abraham was faithful to God, and we're going to be studying in the, in the Old Testament readings about that faithfulness and how it has been tried through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then all through Israel and the kings and the whole history down to the time that Jesus Christ himself is born and comes on the scene. And he said God's eternal plan was that salvation must first go to the Hebrews. Because for a reason that only God knows, and don't try to figure it out, it's one of those mysteries that you will only know when Jesus tells you in the next life. You can ask him when you get there why God chose to do this. All we can tell you now is that's the clear plan in Scripture. But what we need to look at is that just because they were the chosen people doesn't mean that everybody else is unchosen. Just because God loves them and pledged his love and protection to them doesn't mean that God doesn't love all others as well. And that works itself out for us. But God, Jesus wanted the focal point to be put on God's plan working itself out. This was a problem in the early church. And it took the church a while before they got the attitude of going out and bringing the gospel to the Gentile nations around them. God's plan worked itself out in time. And so we're seeing the beginning of that made very clear by Jesus when he said, I must, go, I must bring the salvation first to the Gentile, uh, first to the Hebrews, and then we will open it up to the others. And that's what Jesus is saying. But this woman can't wait that long. Her daughter is dying, and so she pleads with the Lord. And Jesus says something that makes us very uneasy. He says it's not right for us to take the, the bread that was meant for God's children and to cast it to the dogs. A terrible put down. It puts Jesus in a rather bad light for us. We're not used to Jesus being sarcastic uh, and, and cold and, and unconcerned like that. But I remind you that St. John tells us that everything that is recorded in Scripture is recorded so that we might come into belief. Jesus never says anything idly. It's always with the purpose of helping to teach us, to make us understand. And that's what Jesus was doing right here. And in fact, if you read the actual uh, uh, Hebrew, the word that's used for dog is not a wild cur, a dog of the streets, but it really should be translated more as the puppy, a household pet, one who's in the family, but there is a distinction between the pets and the children. And so she, when Jesus calls her the puppy, then she immediately latches on to that and said, yes, Lord, but you know, even the puppies in the house at the dinner time, they come and gather around the kitchen table and they make their way under the table and they feast on the crumbs that fall off of the table. 
And sometimes some of the children take food off of their own plate and pass it under the table to the dog that these things are being done. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's trying her faith. And every time he encounters an, a, a Gentile who comes to request a miracle of him, he, he, he shows how they who have not received the full message of salvation and who, not, who are not among the chosen people, yet through God's grace have come to an understanding of God's relationship to them and have dared to come and request God to show them some love and concern and compassion. And Jesus always used this deep faith of other people as a reminder to us of how much stronger our faith ought to be. And that's the way it was given there. But Jesus' words for us, uh, her words was that uh, even the puppies get what falls from the table. And of course we know the history of the church and how, Saint, uh, how diligent St. Paul was in bringing that salvation to everybody. And so that's something else that we need to remember. Jesus was not talking just to the people there, but he was talking to us. And sometimes we get the attitude that because we go to church on Sundays and because we may be third or fourth generation uh, Christians or even uh, 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 Episcopalians, that we have certain rights over other people who come in. And then we, when we start inviting people to come to our church, sometime we start looking for people who are more like us. And we would like to fill our church with people who are like us. But Jesus created all sorts of people. And that's what this stole talks about. Decaloris. God created people of all colors. Red and white, black and brown, yellow, every color there is. All of God's creatures benefit from the salvation of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we're called to bring everybody to salvation. And we are called here at St. Paul's to impact the world for Christ. But it doesn't mean to duplicate ourselves, to clone ourselves with our congregation, but to go out to all. Jesus said we are to go to the least, to the last, and to the lost. And to bring them all to the message of salvation and to the foot of the cross. That they might receive the reality of the gospel and the fullness of God's grace. And if we try to make any exception and preclude any person, we are smack up against the eternal plan of God carried out by Jesus Christ and entrusted to us. We are called to bring all people to the Lord. And that's what today's readings remind us of that. Everything that we read about is the past. We are the present. We are the ones who are filled with that responsibility now. And it's easy for us to look back and to criticize what has happened in the past just as the people of the future will look back and criticize us for the failings that we were guilty of. The call from the Lord today is to let's start minimizing those failures 
and let's start criticizing ourselves today constructively about the universality of salvation and God's complete plan of salvation for all people. Amen? Amen. Amen.